Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Sims Complete here again for a new edition, newest edition, new edition. Who cares about all the semantics, okay? We're back again for a new show. I'm always joined by my right-hand man. On my left side, though, my Robin to my Batman, Phil Sims. Phil, how you feeling today, man? It's good to see you. I'm doing great, Dad. Oh, it's good to see you. You know, uh, Phil is actually not here today because uh, he's under the weather. He's got the sniffles. He's not feeling great, okay? So we're going to give him a Z-Pack. Good night, rest, okay? He'll be back, ready to go tomorrow, brand new, good as new, okay? But, uh, yeah, Big Phil is out today. He's not feeling his best. He's not ready to go, and he's got to save up his energy for Thursday. Got all those Thanksgiving Day games, and especially CBS, a part of that, that programming, and then uh, for the games on Sunday. So Big Phil will not be joining us today, but he did send me his picks, so I'll make his picks later in the show. Uh, and right now, actually, oddly enough, uh, your boy, Matty Sims, 7-5 and five on the season for the picks. Big Phil, 8-4. and four. So we are, we're getting closer. We're getting closer, all right? And I like it. We're just chipping away. Chip, 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 chipping away. Um, I got a huge crowd here today. Want to shout out to my crowd? All right, there you go. Really enthusiastic group right there. I appreciate it. You know, so here I am at my lonesome. Uh, doing the dang thing. And uh, so let's get right into it. This week, uh, Thursday night, we saw the Bengals, we saw the Ravens, that game. Fantastic football game. You know, really fun to watch until Joe Burrow got hurt. And now that Joe Burrow is hurt, let's talk about what the Bengals' playoffs, hopes, and Super Bowl hopes are. That's right, there is none. The season is actually over, unfortunately. And it really does hurt, I think, the league as a whole. Now that Joe Burrow is out, it hurts the AFC North now that Joe Burrow is out. So the Bengals, although seem to be piecing together offensively, defensively, being very opportunistic with all the playmakers that they have, now that Joe Burrow is out for the season, um, it, you know, yes, can they possibly limp into the playoffs as a wild card team? Maybe, but... It is going to be uphill sledding for that football team. It's going to be very difficult for them really to make a push. Um, you know, Browning is a, a guy that's been in the league for a long time and a guy that really hasn't gotten a ton of experience playing. Uh, and, and I think this will be a, a tough task for him to, to take in, uh, obviously, to take over, excuse me, for Joe Burrow in his absence now because we're talking about one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. So, unfortunately, the Bengals season, to me, is over. What do you think, Phil? What are your takes? That's right. Yep, he agrees, too. So, I appreciate it, Phil, with an F. All right. So, the other uh, topic that I want to hit on that we're, we're not going to, you know, go too deep into a lot of these things because it is just myself here today. Um, just, you know, you get my viewpoint, which is great. So, I like this. All right. We don't need to hear his viewpoint. But uh, DTR. Dorian Thompson Robinson, his performance with the Browns. You know, this is a guy that first time out against the Baltimore Ravens really struggled, right? And, and, and rightfully so. We're talking about the Baltimore Ravens, one of the best defenses in the league. His first, you know, stint here in the NFL going against that defense, a, a tall task for any young quarterback. But you can see from start one to start two here uh, this past weekend, the growth that he's had at the position, the things that we liked about uh, Big Phil and I, even my brother Christopher, what we liked about Dorian Thompson-Robson coming out of college from UCLA. Dude has a strong arm. He's a good athlete. 
He moves extremely well in the pocket. He makes fantastic throws on the run and in the pocket too. You know, for a guy that maybe is a little bit smaller stature, does a really good job too of hanging in the pocket tough and making good throws while being contested while the pocket is collapsing around him. I thought this dude played phenomenal. You know, and, and now in his second start, he's going against, against the Steelers, a very good defense. Didn't really have many wow plays, but there he was at the end of the game. You know, everything is tied, and he's able to make, you know, the two or three throws that they need to to go down there and kick the game-winning field goal. And, uh, you know, it's just a tremendous performance by him. It's not going to impress you stat-wise by any means, but just the fact that he was able to manage the game, understand kind of like this is going to be one of these long games that's battle-tested, survive, just don't make that big mistake that costs your team the win, and he did that. So now I feel like now that he's gone through the Ravens and the Steelers, survived both of them, now you can start to see, okay, can we be a little bit more aggressive with him with some of that play-action passing stuff, right? Because the Browns are always going to be good at running the football. The Browns will always be a great defense right now behind Jim Schwartz. Like Miles My- Garrett, you know, big Phil and I, we had that bet, right? I think we bet $1,000 on it, right, boys? Right? And ladies, excuse me. And, uh, and you know, hey, I took the field while Big Phil said it's going to be a quarterback. Miles Garrett, uh, two and a half sacks this past weekend, making huge impacts on that side of the football for this football team. People starting to kind of get on that bandwagon of maybe it will be something, someone other than a quarterback this year. And, uh, and rightfully so, because this dude is absolutely balling out. The defense as a whole, I mean, Denzel Ward, Grant Delpit, what these guys are doing is phenomenal. Owusu Koromora, I mean, that dude is, is balling, right? And then you got uh, Okoronkwo, who is a phenomenal impact on that defensive line for them. He had a sack in that game, too. Zadarius Smith's impact for the Cleveland Browns. So the Cleveland Browns, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson now a quarterback, you know, I wouldn't write off that ship so quickly like I feel about the, the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, are they a Super Bowl contender? We'll see. You know, I, I think that they can be a team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs. I know that. They're a team that really can dominate other opponents, you know, that have star quarterbacks. So this really, I think, is one of those situations where despite with Cincinnati losing Joe Burrow, I do think that the Cleveland Browns can be – Uh, a a team that survives despite losing their star quarterback. And with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, with that run game, can they be balanced enough in the passing game? I think that they can with their skill group and what he also allows them to do with his athleticism. So still think the Browns are going to be able to to hang in there. The other one that we want to discuss, or we, I don't know why I keep saying this we, but, you know, uh, the spirit of Phil is next to me, even though he's not here. Um, The Lions. The Lions are an 8-2 and two football team right now. Thanks for that wide shot, too, Phil with an F. Um, you know, the Lions are, are an 8-2 and two football team. They're a really, really good football team. They're a team that we had discussed we like a lot. There's a lot to like about them. We love their head coach and what he does and what he brings, right? It, phenomenal, right? It, it just, it's hard not to fall. Even my wife is just like, who is this guy? I love this guy. He's awesome. You know, the energy, the passion, the enthusiasm that he brings to his team, to the press conferences after, his authenticity, it's real. The one issue, though, for the Detroit Lions is this. There's not enough playmakers on the defensive side of the football. Jared Goff, he did, uh, he played about as, as poorly as he possibly could. 
in the first three quarters of that game against the Chicago Bears this past weekend. Now, credit to them, they hung in there. He kept making throws. He kept playing aggressive. You know, the offense and the way it's designed allowed him to continue to be aggressive and make big plays when they were there. But the issue is, is that you let the Chicago Bears, you know, and Justin Fields, who's coming off an injury, throw and run all over you. Well, you know, he threw for about 120, but he ran for 100. You know, and I don't know if you've watched the film of Chicago lately. That's really what Justin Fields does. And to allow him to do what he does really well consistently for three and a half quarters of that game, that kind of just shows you right there that the Detroit Lions, they're, they're still missing pieces, and especially on that defensive line. That's really the biggest concern right there to, to me is that, you know, besides Aiden Hutchinson, they don't have a premier pass rusher on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage to really, you know, get after quarterbacks consistently and, and to really take care of the back end of the way that they play some of their coverages. They're getting better, no doubt, but from what we saw in the Chiefs-Eagles game and that, blood, that battle, that blood grudge match between those two, you know, to think that the Lions are right there with one of those two teams, I mean, you know, you're just – it's not real, you know. So they're a really good football team. They're going to be a tough matchup for a lot of football teams late in this year. But to think that they're a Super Bowl contender, still feel like there's some big pieces missing to that run, to being that caliber of a football team. And their remaining schedule, Packers definitely can win that one here uh, this Thursday on Thanksgiving. Saints, difficult matchup. Saints have been playing better with Derek Carr, but, you know, another winnable game for them. Play the Bears again, another winnable game. Then you got the Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, and Vikings. And, you know, we're going to really find out a lot about the Detroit Lions, I feel like, that last four games of the year. Broncos, such an improved football team. Going to get to them again here in a little bit about more of what they're doing well and, and, and why and, and how. Vikings. Vikings are a pain in the butt, man. Now, with Josh Dobbs, very similar to Cincinnati. Not, not a Super Bowl contender anymore. You know, maybe a playoff team, a good wild card football team, if they can hang in there, right? But this defense is legit with Brian Flores. And, and I feel like since the Lions have to go against that defense twice with the Cowboys sandwiched in the middle, that is going to be a really telling sign to as far as what is the future of Detroit? What is going to be their identity going into the playoffs and how they'll look? Uh, those three games to me are going to be really telling as far as the growth of the football team. Can they get better defensively? Can they do things differently schematically maybe to alter some of the outcomes of these games later to help out their, their team as a whole going into the playoffs? So 8-2 and two, sitting pretty, survived this past weekend. A lot to like about it, but also a lot to be disappointed with. And for us to, you know, put a really good football team under a microscope and say, you know, there's still some missing pieces to your organization and why you're still maybe a step behind being in that, that elite group of Super Bowl contenders this year. All right, so we're going to go right into just, you know, quickly about the Seahawks, right? The Seahawks are a football team that my father and I, we had discussed on a few occasions on this show that we think that the Seahawks are a good football team. We think they're a team that's getting better and improving. Recently, I feel like the offense has kind of taken a step back. I feel like the offense, man, it's a lot of hard work 
to move the football down the field consistently. You know, and we haven't seen – I mean, where's DK Metcalf? Like, we, you know, where is the, the, the play-action passing off of what Kenneth Walker uh, does so well in, in the run game? I feel like there's no balance, there's no identity to this football team. Maybe because their offensive coordinator moved on and went to Tampa Bay, they're still kind of finding their voice offensively. The defense has talent. The defense has shown to get after the passer and be opportunistic, right? Weatherspoon's been a fantastic addition to their football team only as a rookie, you know, what he's doing on the back end. But the Seahawks still missing, I think, just that cohesiveness on the offensive side of the football, that downfield passing threat, and really just overall offensive creativity that, to me, is a little bit of a concern for them. And the other big concern is – now that Geno Smith banged up elbow, how does he look throwing the football the rest of the year? A point that I made about Joe Burrow to my father earlier on in the season was, you know, Joe Burrow was one of the first people to get healthier as the season went along. And, you know, now he's out for the year. And who knows if just, you know, his body just took too many hits, you know, week after week after week. Now that Geno Smith's arm is banged up, his elbow more specifically – what does that entail for him? He had the adrenaline last week against Los Angeles Rams where he actually sat out but then came back into the game, you know, after doing some treatment to it. You know, but in that moment, your adrenaline's pumping. It's a different feeling, right? And, and, he, and he muscled through it. He powered through it in that circumstance. Now we have a few days off, you know, that separation from the field. What is the soreness like now? You know, it, it's – it's a lot. It's an uphill battle, I think, for the Seattle Seahawks. And what's even more concerning, too, is their road ahead. We're talking about the Seahawks' remaining schedule. 49ers, Cowboys, 49ers again, Eagles, Titans, Steelers, Cardinals. Now, okay, you, you end with maybe three easier opponents late in the year, right? The Titans, Steelers, and Cardinals. Those are still teams that play really good defense, though. They're still physical types of football teams. But 49ers, Cowboys – 49ers, Eagles, that next four, this is where I feel like the the air in their sails, you know, it it's it's going to be gone. You know, these next four games I think are, are really going to be too much for the Seattle Seahawks to survive and to really have that momentum you want going into the postseason. So this is a team that, to me, I feel like time is running out on them and they just don't have enough both on offensively as far as their scheme, Geno's health, to really be able to put it together now versus some of the most difficult opponents that they'll see all season long. Uh, you know, one, one other thing that will – well, not one other. We're going to get to a few other things. But, you know, transitioning now to uh, – and I say this with a heavy heart – to the Bills and the Jets game this past weekend. The Bills are now 6-5 and five after their victory versus the Jets. The Jets lead that game uh, limping and wounded – to say the least, uh, and the loss uh, uh, 32 to six to the Buffalo Bills. But what, what are some of the takeaways from this football game? Some of the immediate takeaways are this. Ken Dorsey, the firing of him at the offense coordinator position, very controversial. Obviously, Sean McDermott and that defense and the special teams having 12 men on the field, people are like, why are you firing the OC? when, you know, it was essentially your side of the ball that made the mistake that cost us the game. You know what? I, I think there were some more things going into this, this relationship with Ken Dorsey and why it wasn't working. 
more so than what we were seeing, you know, right in front of us on Sundays. I think there was things behind the scenes, you know, during the weeks at practice, you know, it, it just it, it was leading up to this moment. And, and one, the product on the field wasn't good enough. Uh, for whatever reason, everyone on television, I feel like, crushes Josh Allen and what he does and the mistakes that he makes and making a reference that he's, you know, the, the, the new Phillip Rivers or the new Brett Favre or he's a great player, but he never makes the one play they need to. You know, Josh Allen is a fantastic football player. No doubt he has to clean up some of the mistakes that he makes occasionally in some of these games with playing too risky. But like any of us, you know, in our lives – when you have a, a certain teacher and a certain subject and you resonate with that teacher really, really well, man, do you find that subject more interesting? Are you invigorated to learn more? Are you inspired to do more for yourself individually and also for the subject matter that you're into? And I feel like for whatever reason, that teacher-pupil dynamic with Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen just wasn't working. And, and this is something that, you know, I'm sure the head coach saw, but you can't tell me that you didn't see a, a certain uh, lightness to Josh Allen into that offense against a very good Jets defense this past weekend. It seemed like, you know, the, the curse, you know, of the ship was gone and that he played free. They played fast. What I really loved about it, though, too, you know, and especially Coach Joe Brady, who took over as offensive coordinator, a guy that had been an offensive coordinator, didn't do well, you know, failed, but now gets a second opportunity from it. So he's learned from those lessons. Hopefully Ken Dorsey could do that same thing too for himself in his career, right? Learn from, from what didn't go well and make adjustments to that like we all do in life. But what I love what Joe Brady did so much in this situation was very patient in the run game. Patient in the run game against the New York Jets. James Cook had 17 carries for 73 yards. Latavius Murray had 10 carries for 35 yards. And, and although running for 110 isn't, you know, uh, just breaking any records or anything like that, but the ability to be patient with the run game, to wear out the Jets' defensive line throughout the football game, I think was extremely important. Getting Josh Allen under center and running the football, which allowed some of those play actions on fourth down and third and short to really hit for big explosive plays. So the design, the patience under center led to some of those bigger plays, led to the threat of the run, which allowed some of those play action passes to be that much more effective. And it's great too, like, you know, we thought that Ken Dorsey being gone, now new, new offense coordinator Joe Brady coming in, and we're going to see more Stephon Diggs. We actually didn't see much of Stephon Diggs in this game. Um, but to see a guy like Khalil Shakir have three catches for 115 and a touchdown, his long was 81 on the day, for someone that we haven't heard his name often, all of a sudden now make his presence known in the game plan, you know, that was refreshing. And I'm sure that was refreshing, too, for the coaches, for the players, too, to know that, you know, we can win with the guys that we have as long as we put them in positions to be successful consistently. And I think that's what Joe Brady did the best here. against a really good defense, Robert Sala and, and Jeff Ulbrich and what they do. We know the talent that the Jets have, but for them to put their guys in successful situations consistently was really, I think, the difference in this game and how the patience that they had in the run game Josh Allen making fantastic throws down the field, you know, again, like he always does, really was the difference in this football game.
and, and we'll go into now just the Jets. And, you know, it's not like the Bills defense with their injuries and all that has just been lights out, right? I mean, they've been struggling, no doubt, right? And it's been obvious. And, and, and Zach Wilson, you know, it's it, – time is running out for him, unfortunately, in New York. It, it really is. It's, it's – the offense is, I think, struggling to, to find an identity. It's poorly designed. It's poorly designed for Zach Wilson and probably for, for Tim Boyle. And, you know, it was funny because in the, in the, in the telecast of the game, you know, Zach Wilson, all right, he gets subbed out. Tim Boyle, let's see what he can do. To, and then it's kind of like you see what he does out there. Like, well, yeah, okay, now we know that whoever the quarterback is, if it's not Aaron Rodgers, is probably going to struggle in this offense. Just not enough offensive talent. Not enough protection on the offensive line for the quarterbacks in obvious passing situations. And the inability on their side to be patient with the run game is a huge issue for me. I mean, the fact that we know that our quarterback is struggling, the fact that we know our offensive line struggles to pass protect, that we can't put in, you know, some basic runs to allow us to be more effective, some basic play action, play action passes to be more effective, I think is a big concern. And, you know, this is a team that, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket with Aaron Rodgers, and unfortunately, in the game of football, this is what happens when you have too many eggs in one basket. And the Jets now, a team that hopeful to keep their season alive, that Aaron would magically get healthy and, you know, heal from an Achilles tendon tear in just one year, one football season, to maybe be back for the playoffs. I think this is a team that really needs to kind of look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, we're not maybe as good as we thought we were, even if we did have Aaron Rodgers on the field right now. I think if Aaron Rodgers is on the field, all right, you know what, maybe flip their record and make them six and four. I think we still have a lot of concerns with this football team as far as an offensive firepower. I still think that they lack talent on the, offside, on, the, on the outside as far as playmakers go. I still think that the creativity in the offense is missing. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is that missing piece to the creativity of the offense. I don't know, but I just don't see it right now. And, um, and I think they're just – Right now, it's just about survive. If you've already know what you got in Zach Wilson, if you feel pretty confident about it that he's not your guy, then just move on and put Tim Boyle in and, and play from there, right? But to kind of keep putting him out there, to keep putting him in a situation where you know that nothing is clicking and, and therefore just kind of like throwing him in there with it too, I, I don't really know if that's really good for anybody, for the team, for Zach, right, for just the way the organization views himself. So – Let's just kind of start new. And I think going forward, give Boyle the opportunity to do that. Razul Douglas in the game played phenomenal. Two interceptions uh, for this Buffalo Bills defense. Uh, you know, he came from Green Bay. There's a guy that obviously had to be plugged in and plays, you know, in a situation where there's a lot of injuries in the back end, especially to Tredavious White. He comes in and makes two great interceptions, one on Zach Wilson, one on Tim Boyle late in the game. Uh, the one where he's on an island, you know, one-on-one -on -one against – uh, one of the better receivers in that Jets uh, receiving core makes that interception on a really good read of the quarterback in the route. And then the second one playing that zone does a great job of seeing the big picture, what the routes were, reading the quarterback, and then adjusting and making the play. So Douglas made his impact known. Uh, Bernard's been playing very well for this football team. Tyrell Dodson, another guy that's been playing really well, a sack and a tackle for a loss. And then Leonard Floyd with two and a half sacks and 
the defense as a whole having six total. That'll really be the biggest thing for these Buffalo Bills going forward at six and five right now is can they continue to get pressure on the quarterback versus teams that have better offensive lines than the New York Jets because they don't have enough talent on the back end to really hang in there for too long. So McDermott being aggressive at the line of scrimmage, trying to confuse quarterbacks more, that will be their saving grace going forward. Um, but, you know, the Jets, there, there's more problems, I think, to your football team than, than you like to realize right now. And to say that you were a Super Bowl team in August, hey, even I was hopeful that they would be too, being a guy from New Jersey, playing for the Jets too. I was absolutely optimistic for it. But as we continue to go into the season, I think we all know now that this team really isn't on the same level of the Kansas City Chiefs or the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I wouldn't even say they're on the same level as even a team like the Detroit Lions, who I just said wasn't a team that is Super Bowl caliber ready yet. Um, so Jets got a lot of work to do here this offseason. Next game and topic that we're going to go to is the Giants. The Giants, man, I mean, what what a game. 31-19 over the Commanders. Commanders, I am sorry. Thank you for your service to your country. Your season is kaputs. Your coaching staff is kaputs. Ron Rivera, you're a great dude, and uh, a lot of respect for you and what you do and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, time is ticking. The Commanders absolutely need to start over and uh, just throw everything away. I think that's pretty expected, too, of this organization, considering that the new ownership and all that kind of stuff, they can't be uh, like they can't like what they've been seeing recently. So, uh, but it's it's really more so right now about the Giants at three and eight uh, after this win against the Commanders. Tommy DeVito, Tommy DeVito, 18 of 26, 246 yards, three three TDs, and he did this all after being sacked nine times, and I think six times, like in the first quarter and a half of the game. And this is a guy that, uh, a Don Bosco grad, like myself, state champ, two-time All-State football player, um, you know, went through it too. It's been through everything. Went to uh, two different schools in college, you know, had his ups and downs in college. But here he is now, you know, after going through the pipe, the same pipe that Andy Dufresne call, uh, crawled out of, you know, in Shawshank Redemption, he gets his first win as a starting quarterback for the New York Giants, and, uh, and it's an awesome moment because he played phenomenal. He made decisive reads throughout the day. He did a great job of hanging in there tough. He got hit a lot. He got hit a lot. He got hit hard. And, you know, Tommy DeVito's not the biggest dude in the world, but, man, he hung in there. He made good throws. He made great identifications at the line of scrimmage, making consistent decisions. And uh, getting Saquon the ball as a receiver, too, was absolutely phenomenal. The play calling was great. Kafka and Dayball doing a great job of designing and taking advantage of what Tommy's doing well, the plays that work for him, but also, too, just taking advantage of what it seems like everyone does against Washington, which is, you know, tear up their secondary. So I think that they did a great job of identifying ma matchups and mismatches all day allowing Tommy to get those plays repeatedly over and over. A few plays, too, that were really drawn up. The one specifically was his one touchdown uh, uh, to Slayton down the left sideline. That was a game plan play where 
if something is a little hairy in the beginning of the football game, we're going to get this kid an opportunity. We're going to move the pocket. We're going to set him up back. We're going to take a shot down the field. And that really, I think, was one of those plays that was, you know, to get him comfortable. And after that play, it seemed like dude just took off and did his thing and looked like he had been, you know, a three-year vet after that. And so I give the coaching staff a, tr a tremendous amount of credit for allowing this young football player, you know, one, to grow with the position because, hey, when we were all saying it. Against the Jets, when he went in there and it was handoff after handoff, you know, they knew he wasn't ready. You know, against the Cowboys in his first start, they knew he wasn't ready. They didn't put too much on him early on. They didn't go in there thinking, you know, hey, Tommy, win the game for us. They were just like, let's learn. Let's get a little bit better. Let's survive and advance kind of a thing, you know, with the quarterback healthy at the end of the game. And now versus the commanders, an opponent that, you know, now that he's had his feet wet, he's gotten some experience. He's, you know, heard from the coaches on the sideline during games. Now, you know, three whole weeks of practice, you know, knowing that he's going to be a guy or potentially the guy. And I think the coaching staff and Tommy, their homework, what they did leading up to this week was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and, and to get Darius Slayton involved, too, four catches for 82 yards and a touchdown was fantastic. Saquon and his impact on the ground, 14 carries for 83 yards. As a receiver, more importantly, four for 57 for four TDs. And just great design football plays. Again, I can't stress that enough. Those were well-designed football plays versus the perfect coverages. They knew they were going to see those. And then Tommy being able to execute those, absolutely fantastic. Now, the road for him doesn't get any easier. He's got the Eagles two more times on the schedule. So, you know, that'll be a tough one. The Patriots, I know they're not a great team, but they play great defense, right? The Saints, another good defense. So, Tommy, you know, it's great that he got this momentum. You know, now just go back to the drawing board again with their coaching staff. The coaching staff now, I think, really understands who he is as a player, what he does well, what he does better than, than other situations now. And, and I think they're going to take advantage of that as much as they possibly can. And uh, just, like, huge shout-out to him because a phenomenal performance, and I loved every minute of it. So congratulations to him, too, being a Jersey guy. Lives at home with his parents, too. You know we got some fresh mutts when he got home that night, um, you know, from the fam. And, and he should, man, and he should. I lived with, uh, with, with Big Phil and, uh, and Dirty Diana back in the day when I was with the Jets, and uh, it was pretty cool to, to be able to play in some of those games and to get that experience and to go home and to share those moments with your family. So I uh, hope they're really enjoying it, and what a beautiful moment that is, and, and hopefully against a tougher schedule going forward can still have some more of these great opportunities and, uh, and look forward to watching them, um, the Bosco boy. But the defense now, let's go into that. Man, Giants, love it. Love what I saw from them. The three picks, Darnay Holmes, McLeod, Nick McLeod got a pick. Isaiah Simmons capping it off with the pick six at the end. Bobby Okereke, though, best offseason addition to this football team. This dude has been, and he's been everywhere on the football field. I mean, just seek and destroy the ball carrier in every football game. He ends the game with 14 tackles. And this guy, I think to me, was the biggest addition that they made in the offseason. You know, his leadership, his ball hack, uh, hawking ability, right, his toughness, I feel like is something that this defense can really, uh, you know, kind of galvanize around. Micah McFadden, I mean, him and Kayvon, you know, 
I said it to Big Phil on one occasion. I thought Micah McFadden was the better draft prospect after the first year or two. Now we're seeing Kayvon doing his thing, and now both of these guys being just tremendous cornerstone pieces to this football team. He ends with eight tackles. Kayvon has two sacks, ten and a half on the season. Dexter Lawrence with a sack. Jihad Ward with a sack. So now all of a sudden, you know, with a quarterback that plays tough, that still gets it done in adverse situations, we're starting to see some of the other pieces of the defense that we really like and enjoy a lot. And it's really cool and refreshing. It really is. And it's, it's really exciting, uh, you know, for, for Giants fans, I feel like, to have some optimism in a season that has been extremely difficult. We're going to head now to uh, the, the Miami Dolphins. Their victory this past weekend over the Las Vegas Raiders. I still want to say Oakland Raiders. I'm still really bad at that for whatever reason. Um, everyone's sleeping in the back of the room right now, so but that's okay. Uh, it's just me here, my feelings and my thoughts. But uh, Tua played great. Yep, here I am. Good to see you, Phil, with an F. Yep, all right. Moving on. But Tua, he played fantastic again. Um, you know, he – there was a lot of opportunities, I think, for the Miami Dolphins to make more of this game. They had two fumbles in the first half. They had the interception. Uh, second half, they missed a field goal as a 50-yarder, but still a lot of opportunities, I think, for this offense where they, they could have maybe put the Raiders away sooner and just kind of missed them. And, and that's typical, right? That's football for you. But two overall, statistically, had a good, solid day. Um, Tyreek Hill, 10 catches for 146 and a touchdown. The difference, though, for the Dolphins team that I want to hit on and really focus on here just for a moment, you know, Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey, these two guys being back in the lineup, now you can kind of see what this defense is capable of. Now, I know the Raiders aren't this high-powered offense. They no doubt are better, though, with Antonio Pierce as the head coach. They're no doubt a tougher football team now in just as three weeks as the head coach. But Jalen Ramsey – with his two interceptions, one to seal it at the end in the end zone was absolutely huge. But to have both of these guys on either side right, of your field, especially in that zone defense that Big Phil had mentioned, is, is difficult to learn, you know, uh, especially early on in the season with all the checks and the communication issues that you have. Now we're seeing what this team could be. Now we're seeing why we should be excited about the Miami Dolphins. They're 7-3. and three. They still haven't beaten, you know, the cream of the crop in the NFL, right? They could be a team that you could say is very similar to Detroit Lions in a sense, but they do have more playmakers on the defensive side of the football, especially at the front line. So with these guys now in the secondary, with their more talented defensive line than I think the Detroit Lions, hopefully we can see them start to build more momentum on that side of the football make them a little bit more of a balanced football team to go along with this high-powered offense and make a real run. I mean, right now they're leading the AFC East at 7-3, and, 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 and they've been doing a lot of really good things offensively with these two guys now inserted into the starting lineup on the back end, Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. I think this team can really be uh, that much more dynamic to end the football season, uh, both offensively and defensively, and sort of finally match each other Whereas before it was, let's just outscore everybody by 20 points. Now it's, you know, we can score, but we can also play physical brand of football on both sides. 
The one issue for the Dolphins, I thought, in this last week, uh, last week's game against the Raiders, didn't run the ball effectively. Achan is back, um, so hopefully they can get him back and his explosive running ability in, in the passing game, but also in the run game involved a little bit more to go wrong with Moster. Um, so hopefully that creativity kind of creeps back into the offensive philosophy that we saw earlier in the year to go along now with a healthier defense. The Broncos, man. Let's talk about the Broncos. This is a team that, man, it, the season was over earlier in the year. But now 5-5, five and five, right, four-game win streak. Russell Wilson looks pretty good. 27 of 35, 259 and a touchdown. And this is a team that really failed to be efficient in the red zone. I think they were 1-4-4 for four in the red zone against the Minnesota Vikings, a, a very – Talented defense, a very physical defense, too, that Big Phil and I had mentioned we really enjoy and like and think that it matches the personality of their team extremely well with Brian Flores. You can see that a lot of their looks confuse the Denver Broncos throughout that football game. But, damn, Sean Payton, he's a good football coach. And he's not only a good coach of players, he's a good coach of coaches. And him and Vance Joseph and this football team, they got it going now. And I think they're a team that really can be a headache going forward and potentially make a wild card spot in the AFC. Now, it's uphill sledding. They got the Browns, Texans, Chargers, Lions, Patriots, Chargers, and Raiders to finish out the year. But those same teams don't really want to see the Broncos either right now in the way that they're playing. Uh, Josie Jewell, Alex Singleton playing phenomenal football. Jaquan McMillan. His impact now being in the starting lineup as a defensive back and nickel back, extremely impactful. One forced fumble, one INT, one pass deflection. You know, Baron Browning, Jonathan Cooper. These are guys that I feel like, you know, we, we weren't talking about early in the year, but now, man, this unit is really coming together. And on the back end with Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, Pat Sertan, I mean, this is a defense that, I don't know if you really want to see them going forward. And with the offensive philosophy of Sean Payton, with Russell Wilson hitting his groove now, uh, I think the, the, the Denver Broncos are going to be an issue for anyone that matches up for them going forward. So can they get more from Cortland Sutton? Can they get more from Samaje Piran in the run game? My cell phone will just not sit on this, this rich Corinthian leather right now and it's just so frustrating so I got to find the perfect angle it's a funny angle um yeah you guys don't know that movie but uh but uh you know the the Broncos though got a lot of pieces to like a lot of pieces to like and I feel like they're a team that is going to match up extremely well going forward uh against a lot of football teams and and just credit to Sean Payton again a guy that like him or hate him dude's good football coach they found the right guy and it looks like the Broncos are going to be a team that aren't going anywhere anytime soon, especially with how they played against Kansas City this year. All right, now we're going to finish up, though, with Kansas City and Philadelphia. Uh, I almost went the whole show with just talking about this game because, like, that's how much fun I had watching this football game. Uh, I was watching the game with my wife, and my wife was just like, wow, this game is really violent. And I was like, yeah, this is what happens when you see two really good football teams on the field together. And the thing that we got to highlight about both of these teams, their defense, both defenses, like, whoa, unbelievable how good they are. Uh, and we've, we've already discussed, you know, Big Phil and I, you know, everyone else out there in the football universe, Kansas City Chiefs offense line is pretty good. 
the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, probably the best in the NFL, if not the best in the NFL, right? Both of these defensive lines had unbelievable moments, and that was what was great about this matchup. You had just great battles. Sometimes the, the, the Eagles O-line would win. Sometimes the, the Kansas City defensive line would win. You know, just back and forth battles where you just were saying, man, I don't really know who I would give the advantage to on either side of the football with any situation right now. You know, it's just kind of going to be like which guy matches up or wins that particular matchup going forward. But just the defense was unbelievable. It was a heavyweight fight, man. It was hard hitting. It was intense. Uh, I loved watching every minute of it. It was good execution at times. It was good just one-on-one -on -one battles and wins that you saw. But let's highlight just a few football players, right, and, and really just two battle-tested teams, really. That's just so important, right? Two teams that believe that they're great, that know that they're great, and that have won so many games that, too, where just they're usually big brother in the game, right? And this was the first time that I watched a football game with the Philadelphia Eagles in a long time and thought, yeah, like, they actually respect the Chiefs a little bit, <laughs> you know. Now, I'm not saying, like, you know, you, you always respect your opponent, right? You respect the other guys across the, the line of scrimmage from you. But I feel like this was the first team where the, the, the Eagles really couldn't just, like, push them around and just be big brother to all the time. This was one of the few teams where they were kind of like, yeah, like, respect like I see you you see me like and let's just kind of get after a type of thing and that's that was really interesting to me too and, and why is that why because Kansas City man they got dudes on the defensive side of the football Chris Jones some matchups that he had against the best offensive line in football dude was unblockable at times now late in the second half I think they did a little bit better job of winning some of those matchups especially with how they called plays but Chris Jones is an absolute impact in that football game. Trent McDuffie, I mean, you know, dude, he's an all-pro. Let's just put it that way. I'm not even really sure what position he plays. He's a linebacker. He's, he's an edge rusher. He's, he's a DB. He's whatever. He's a phenomenal football player. Two sacks, one pass deflection on the day, you know, and his impact is just unbelievable. Dude is always around the football. Trent McDuffie is an all-pro football player. Dude's an absolute baller and a game wrecker. The one other player that I want to focus on for Kansas City, too, Legereus Sneed. His impact was huge. They did a great job, Legereus Sneed, of locking down A.J. Brown, a guy that to me is, you know, is really just unmatched so far this football season. They locked him up pretty good in those one-on-one -on -one battles. Now, the problem is they put a lot of focus on on A.J. Brown, did a great job, Legereus Sneed, on matching up with him throughout the game. Who now matches up with Devontae Smith? Because that's kind of where the leak was in the Kansas City defense late in the game. You put all this focus on A.J. Brown, stopping him. Now that your tight end is out for the year, stop A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith won some of those matchups late in the game, and that was the difference in the game. It really was, right? So that'll be kind of the question mark going forward for this Kansas City defense. What do you do? Right, You stop A.J. Brown, how can you slow down Devontae Smith from taking over the football game and beating you? Right, The Philadelphia defense, Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat, to me, are the two most important football players on their team. What they do on the defensive line, you know, statistically, they weren't crushing it early on in the game, but they're making impacts. As the game continues to go on, though, 
it's very difficult to stop those dudes. It really is. And, and you can kind of see late in the game, Patrick Mahomes moving around, expecting pressure, not sure when pressure was coming, you know, moving maybe a little prematurely in the pocket at times. And that's because these dudes are just nonstop for four quarters. They really are. They're nonstop. To go along with Brendan Graham, you know, Fletcher Cox and what they kind of do when we're on a consistent level, Jalen Carter, who we've highlighted before. But these two dudes really are the ones that seal the game for them. Hassan Riddick in multiple situations was basically asked to be a quarterback spy. He would rush and stun, and then he would just sit and wait for Patrick Mahomes. As Mahomes would move and kind of manipulate the pocket, typically, right, in the first half we saw him moving, darting, getting first down. Second half, didn't see that as much. Why? Because of Hassan Riddick. He was waiting at the line of scrimmage for Patrick Mahomes. As soon as Patrick Mahomes would start to find that lane, there was Hassan with his great closing speed, his length, his ability to get to the quarterback and chase him down sideline to sideline. So that, to me, was the great adjustment that they made in the second half that really just goes to show you something that was an issue in the first half. They put their best player in a position now to slow down the opposing team's best football player, and that's where I thought they really took one huge advantage away from the Kansas City Chiefs late was that ability to extend football plays right, with Patrick Mahomes as a thrower and a runner. The other thing that I want to highlight, too, I say that a lot. That's a crutch for me. i got to work on that. i got to stop saying that. But we'll work on that. More experience. More repetitions. Uh, Kevin Byard. Kevin Byard and Bradley Roby. Their addition to this defense is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. It made a Super Bowl-worthy team even more Super Bowl-y, right? Because now Kevin Byard can match up one-on-one -on -one against Travis Kelsey in certain situations. So when there's situations in the game where you're not, you know, defending him with three or four different players in a zone or trying to isolate him or whatever, now you can say, all right, our, our guy versus their guy in key moments of the game. And Kevin Byard did a really good job. He hung in there extremely well. Kelsey dropped one of those passes, but still, Byard made it more difficult for him throughout the football game. So I think that addition was huge. Bradley Roby, his ability now to cover guys in the slot, hasn't been healthy, hasn't been out on the field a ton. I feel like with more experience on the football field, this dude is absolutely going to hit his stride at the most important times for this defense, right? He was the one that punched out Travis Kelsey's uh, fumble there in the low red zone area. And that really was one of the biggest differences in the game was that opportunistic punch. And I mean, and talk about just the perfect power punch jab to the football at the most perfect moment. But the biggest issue that we got to really focus on here, right, is Mahomes and this offense. A lot of people have been saying it all year. You know, Big Phil and I, we had mentioned, you know, to, to you know, our fans, right, and our listeners what – we thought this team was designed about. It's about being really good on the defensive side of the football. And no doubt, they played and showed that. They really did. Mahomes, let's just face it, he didn't throw the ball very well in this football game. He really didn't. The pick that he threw in the red zone to Watson that was intercepted by Kevin Byard, right, was, was a throw that he kind of made across his body, right, a throw that he wasn't really, like, in a proper position to make the right way. You know, and it's easy for us to say, like, oh, he can throw him open. But there was a lot of throws where you're just saying, like, Patrick Mahomes typically makes those throws. So to go along with the five drops that they had in the football game, with Patrick Mahomes thinking, to me, throwing 
below average, which is still better than just about every quarterback in the NFL. But to be below average with the drops, that's where I feel like Kansas City dropped the ball in this game. Patrick Mahomes has to throw the ball better in some of those key situations where guys are open and he's just not technically in a proper position to throw the ball well enough to get it done. I don't know what that is. I don't know if his footwork was a little off. At times, I thought he was a little too spread out in the pocket, maybe because he feels the pressure or is not sure if he's going to have to move and make a sudden adjustment. But no doubt his throwing to me was slightly compromised in this matchup. And the other issue I have with this to go along with those drops, right, is the Kansas City Chiefs group. You know, I think that there, there's some optimism to the group. You know, Watson, Sky Moore, uh, Rice, Kadarius Toney, like, they're, they're playmakers. They can make plays. But can we break a tackle? You know, that's my question. Can you break a tackle? Everything was just catch, drop, fall, you know, or li quite literally like that, drop and then fall. But, you know, it's just can we make a catch and extend a play? Can we break a tackle? You know, that's one of my issues with the football team, too, to go along with the drops. Because, you know, the Eagles are a good defense. They're a good tackling defense. You have to break some of those tackles, though, to beat really good football teams like that, right? And, and I think that was one of the issues, right? It's just poor throwing on Patrick Mahomes' part, which no one will say because no one wants to crush the best quarterback in the NFL. But dude's got to throw it better. That's for one, right? He's got to play better. He's got to throw it better. And I know he's battling, you know, uphill again with a group that people think are – you know, subservient to what he should be or what he should be allowed to have around him. But those are the guys that he has. So he's got to make it work. But he's also got to throw the ball better. They got to catch the ball better, no doubt. They got to create more momentum plays. And I think that's something that they'll kind of look at when they revisit this film. One of the other issues that I had with this game, you know, that I think is big is just that, you know, Matt Nagy, why'd you get away from running the football with Isaiah Pacheco? You know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he had two carries for 20 yards. You know, uh, Isaiah Pacheco uh, had a really good football game. He, he ran the ball extremely efficiently, ran it hard, physical. You know, and that's what I love about Isaiah Pacheco is just his aggressiveness, right, to run and be aggressive. But I just feel like Matt Nagy lost it. He got away from it too soon in this football game. And that's something that I feel like in the second half that they were missing. If they were more patient in the run game, if they had a few more plays, you know, to dial up in that run game to keep the Eagles' defense off balance, I feel like that would have potentially changed the game a little bit too. Let's talk about the Eagles' offense here real quick. Jason Kelsey is the best center in football. It's amazing that he was thinking about leaving football a year ago. It's amazing that he might leave football after this year because he's – just phenomenal. The ability to move in space at the age of 35 or 36, whatever he is, and, and to be able to, one, just get the offensive line right, to, to move in space the way that he does, to block defenders in space, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Dude's a Hall of Famer. What he did against the Kansas City Chiefs is just like drill tape on so many levels. So Kelsey is fantastic, and I can't highlight that enough. The offensive line struggled at times, but at times won a lot of those battles, right? And, and that's a testament, too, to their toughness, their battle, right, tested that way. You know, in, in the first half, really struggled to get third and short situations. You know, and credit to Kansas City. They did a great job of, of confusing their offense, to slowing them down, taking away some of those easy, easy throws that they usually hit to A.J. Brown consistently throughout the game. 
and what they do, Kansas City, by forcing them in third and long situations, you take away the Philadelphia Eagles' best play, which is the Philly push. And let's, let's call it, man. In the first half, really no Philly pushes except for the touchdown, right? Or, excuse me, later uh, the first touchdown was that draw play by Jalen Hurts. But second half, started to lose some of those first and down matchups. Now they got into that Philly push situation, and now you kind of felt that, that you know, heavyweight punch type of feeling for the Philadelphia Eagles starting to wear out that Kansas City defense as the game went along without the production on the offensive side by Kansas City. But, you know, the player that we really have to focus on that I think to me is the, the offensive difference now. We did the defensive guys. The offensive difference in this football game other than Devontae Smith is DeAndre Swift. I mean, the dude is a difference maker. His speed sweep that went off for about 30 yards. The screen that went for 20. His physicality as he runs, 12 for 76 and one touchdown. Long of 35. Receiving, three for 31. His physicality matches what the Eagles want to do in their spread formations. It goes along perfectly with the movement of their center to block in space versus, you know, four down linemen and one linebacker in those situations, especially as teams go light to cover their talented, uh, you know, receiving core on the outside. That gives a tremendous advantage to the Philadelphia Eagles and their powerful offensive line to wear defenses out late in the game. Jalen Hurts. Very similar to Patrick Mahomes. Don't think that he played very well, right? He didn't play very well. He's not throwing the ball great right now. It looks like he's getting healthier with his knee, right? But, you know, Jalen does a really good job of kind of understanding that, you know, for his team to win, he really just needs to kind of just do his thing, not take any risks, control the football, protect his body, and then when the moment is there, to make a good run or to pull the trigger on third down and make the throw. You know, but when they go back and watch the film, they're going to probably say, like, Jalen, could have thrown it here. You could have thrown it here. You could have thrown it here. You know, just doesn't want to take that chance of making the big mistake, right? And I'm not sure if that's, like, a good or a bad problem. It really could be both. For certain teams, he's going to have to do that. He's going to have to make those throws. We saw it in the Super Bowl a year ago. Why? Because he had to. Last night, he felt like he didn't need to. He, didn't, he felt like he didn't have to make those throws, so he didn't. But you can kind of see on a few occasions, there's people open. There's plays to be had, and just for whatever reason, he's not pulling the trigger. But he plays patient. He doesn't make mistakes. He protects his body. He makes opportunistic runs when they present themselves, whether they're designed or whether he's scrambling. I think the Chiefs did a good job of limiting the scrambles, didn't take advantage of some of the design runs late in the game which I thought were great calls by Brian Johnson. And he's someone that, you know, new to the position as offensive coordinator. That'll be the biggest thing. You can see the plays for this team. They're there. Can he create more of a symphony offensively for them? Can he build upon plays and choreograph them better going forward? Because you see these great plays scattered around. But now can you make it flow? Can you make it match the rhythm of the game for your quarterback and for your skill group that is so uh, unbelievably talented. So we talked about the skill guys on Kansas City. We talked about, you know, what they do extremely well, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the offensive side or what they can do better, right? And we discussed, again, the Kansas City defense and just how talented they are and what they're doing. And why both of these teams, I didn't want to say that it was a potential repeat of the Super Bowl, but, man, after seeing last night, it's possible. Now, the one problem for Kansas City is they haven't played at a road uh, playoff game in like 10 years. 
Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game. So this was a big a loss for them last night. But I still somehow kind of come out of this game in a weird way thinking the team that lost might serve them better in the long run for this one, right? And I feel like you learn a lot from your losses. Philly would be like, yeah, they almost got us. But there really won't be that sense of urgency, though, either to kind of maybe learn from it in some regard. Whereas a loss, you really do have to look yourself in the mirror and have those tough discussions. We know that Kansas City's doing that with their skill group today because it's unavoidable. So now for the picks. Matt Sims, 7-5 on the season. Chipping away. Big Phil, 8-4 in the year. 8-4. Still chipping. Still chipping, you Phil. All right, so first game, Jacksonville versus Houston. Big Phil, he's taking Jacksonville. I just think they're the better football team. I don't, you know, and one time Bill Parcells said, you know, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever, Phil. Big Phil's taking the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm taking the Houston Texans in this one. I think Houston at home, I think they have the advantage at home. I think C.J. Stroud will bounce back out of three interceptions, even though they won the football game. I think this will be a great game. I'm giving the edge to the Houston Texans. Next game, Carolina versus Tennessee. Me and Big Phil, we're both going with the Tennessee Titans in this one. I, I just don't know if Carolina really, uh, you know, I just don't know if they can really make plays. I think Tennessee is a tough defense. I think they want to, like the, he said about the, the Steelers, drag you into the mud. And I feel like that uh, Derrick Henry, this offense, they'll be able to create enough offense uh, to win this football game and, and to get, you know, a, a good, much-needed victory for that football team. So, unfortunately for Carolina, I feel like, you know, the L's continue to fall for them. And then we have the Cleveland Browns versus the Denver Broncos. Big Phil, he's going with the Cleveland Browns. He's picking the Cleveland Browns, and I'm going with the Denver Broncos. I think their winning streak extends. They're at home. They'll play better, I think, than they did a week ago against um, the Minnesota Vikings. And I think for whatever reason, just they'll, they'll have maybe some advantages to, although Dorian Thompson-Robinson playing better, you know, rookie quarterback on the road in Denver, tough place to play. I give a slight edge to the Denver Broncos in this one. So just wanted to uh, thank my partner, as always, Big Phil Sims. Appreciate it, Phil, with an F. You the man. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Back for more. Thank you so much, IMP Studios. Really appreciate it. Hope you guys listening at home on the audio enjoyed listening to my beautiful voice the entire day today. And thank you again. This is Sims Complete out for our latest edition. We will see you next week. Thank you. Toodles. What the hell is toodles? I love you.